On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Platforms. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World wherever you get your podcasts. This week on the Indo-Daily. I asked her to leave me alone. I felt like she was harassing me. And she was insistent that, you know, these were just coincidences. Catherine Martin, she is in favour of scrapping the TV licence and giving money to RT direct from the exchequer. Tonish Michael Martin, dead set against it. No way, not happening. Find and follow us at all the usual spots and over on the Irish Independent website. This is the Rugby World Cup on the left wing. Hello and welcome to the left wing. Well, we are beside the Loire River here in Tours. It's absolutely gorgeous here, Keane, isn't it? And still yeah, pretty warm. You've upped your game, Sinead, in terms <laughs> of the location. Uh, the last couple of days were pretty good. But um, yeah, it's stunning. I think we were mentioning it on a podcast earlier this week. There's a lovely kind of running track and a cycle lane that goes right along the river. And I know we've both been um, taking advantage of that. Trying um, to, Keen, trying, trying to. to yeah, yeah, trying to haul yourself out. But um, it is, it's stunning. And there's loads of people just sitting, reading their books. And I mean, it's still amazing that this is the time of year that we have. And you hear about the weather back home and that. But um, yeah, absolutely stunning place to record yeah. a podcast. Fair play. <laughs> Well, it was your original, uh, <laughs> you originally called this place. Um, obviously, the players uh, don't reconvene until this evening. No press conferences until tomorrow. Have you been having withdrawal symptoms now with no press conferences? No, How are I you coping? I think we've all done, I think we've all done okay. I think we all needed the break. I mean, Caelan Doris was up for interview last week ahead of the South Africa game. And afterwards, I was just saying to him, geez, like how many times have we spoken to you now? Which is obviously a good thing because it means that he's in the team all the time. But um, he had a little bit of a laugh about it as well. Um, you're trying to come up with different ways to ask the, the same questions but I think it'll be different come tomorrow and Friday when there's press conferences because there's so much still to discuss about the, the South Africa game leading into Scotland so um, yeah no I think the break will have done everyone well Absolutely um, so this kind of just gives us a chance to go through any of the comments and questions that have been coming in from you on Spotify on YouTube on social media but I want to ask you the first question Keen. Uh, okay. Rory mentioned this on Saturday night we had a bit of a wardrobe malfunction before. Almost Almost. <laughs> Almost before the game. So basically what happened was I went out to buy um, a jumper that morning. I was so cold. I left all my warm gear in tour. So I went down and bought a green uh, polo neck. So I was setting up our video outside the Stade de France a few hours before kickoff. So I uh, texted the lad saying, all ready to go. So uh, Keen walks out. So I'm wearing green. Keen walks out wearing a mustard, <laughs> a mustard yellow yes, jumper. Yeah. 
And uh, just a few minutes later, Rory comes out in his white jumper. So I was going, we are wearing the tricolour on the day. How did this happen? And you didn't even notice. I had to well, point it out to we, you. Yes, I'm so glad we did notice it. And to be fair, Sinead, you were the one who did notice it. Maybe our untrained eye wouldn't have, and we would have been an absolute we, laughing stock. Patriotism to a different level. Yeah, Keane, absolutely. Maybe been. like we're just like subconsciously so ingrained in it all. But um, the ironic thing was that myself and Rod had only both bought those jumpers as well. Uh, because I also left all my like trousers, shirts, jumpers in tour as well, because it's much warmer here than it is in Paris. Um, but I won't be making that mistake again when we go to Paris. But uh, yeah, we You'd both just bought, anyway. Yeah, so I told Rudd that uh, oh, I just had to buy a jumper there. And he was like, oh, where did you go? Blah, blah, blah. So I told him where the shop was. So he's like, oh, I need to buy one as well. So wasn't expecting him to go down and buy something to match up to what could potentially be the tricolor. But look, we got away with it. I took one for the team. I took my my orange mustardy jumper, which actually, was that even a good call? I don't know. Maybe it was actually a crap top to buy anyway. But uh, we got away with it just about. But you have the photo that will probably never see in the light of day. I put it on a WhatsApp group. Yeah, yeah never no, see the light of day though, public, not for public consumption. Okay, let's get into some of the comments that have been coming in uh, to you as well, Keen. So Cormac Power tweeted you this week asking your thoughts on Tyke Furlong. He says, no longer gives the impact around the field and hasn't done so for some time. I think uh, Finlay Bealham is a better scrummager and he's been for some time and he gives you more mobility around the park. Would you agree with that? Uh, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't agree with that, I have to say. Um, there's a lot of layers to that question. Um, I don't think Tyke Furlong has been the Tyke Furlong we know over the last couple of years. I think injuries, I mean, how many times has he struggled with his calf and as a prop, like that's such a problem problem area when you think about the amount of power that he must generate coming through his um, legs in terms of scrummaging and that. So he definitely hasn't been the tiger furlong he was four, five, six years ago. He's is got this a, post lines and stuff. He's some got way. a lot and of how much it takes out of yeah. Yeah, he's got a, yeah, post lines. He's got a lot of mileage on the clock. But I actually thought he was very good in Ireland's first three games. You remember against um, Tonga, he basically had to play most of the game, wasn't it? It was Tonga. Um, but Finley Beelham, like that's a a separate issue almost altogether. I think Finley Beelham has been outstanding. Um, I touched on this. Uh, before the game last week that I think a lot of people had forgotten how much time that Finley Beelham had actually played against the box last November and did unbelievably well. And at the at start Trump's of the Six Nations At the well. start of the Six Nations he was outstanding before he got that injury in Rome, wasn't it? So um, I think the, the the improvements that Finley Beelham has made have been absolutely outstanding. I think he's been helped by the fact that he is no longer kind of shifting between loose head and tight head. I think he could still do it as a push, but it's clear that he's a tight head. So... Um, I thought Furlong did well. I, I think we're all still kind of, you know, expecting Furlong to be the all singing, all dancing prop. But like, I think you have to kind of give credence to the fact that he has had a few injuries. But I thought he's looked decent, I have to say, over the first three World Cup games. Still not quite at his best, but maybe that's a good thing in terms of it gives him scope to still find that form come the hopefully the knockout stages. Absolutely. Uh, another tweet from Ash, you are sleeping. Any update on Keane Healy and the likelihood of him coming into camp if an injury occurs? How long was... What was the prognosis back then for when he when he got that injury? It was pretty kind of murky because when it had happened, it was the day the the, the squad was being announced, obviously. And I think they were kind of talking around the eight week kind of mark, but um, there was no kind of definitive timeline put on that. I suppose he's been a bit of out of sight, out of mind a little bit. It certainly hasn't been a question that's been asked of the coaches because I think in case anyone doesn't realize this, if 
Ireland were to call a player in, there has to be an injury. Um, you know, so they can't just decide to, let's say for argument's sake, um, take out Jeremy Lockman and put Keane Healy in if he's fit. There has to be an injury. So that's worth uh, bearing in mind. Um, Keane Healy is back doing his rehab uh, back in Ireland. You'd imagine he's probably working with the Leinster coaches. The IRFU also have um, a new facility in their high-performance unit where it's for kind of long-term injuries. They're working with a guy called Einar Einarsson. He's an Icelandic guru. Um, if you talk to like I've spoken to Robbie Henshaw Jameson Gibson Park about this guy um, I think he's worked in like the NFL various different sports real guy that's top of his field he's a rehab specialist so I'd imagine Keen Healy is probably back there working at him and this guy seems to have shaved um, a good few weeks after the likes of Johnny Sexton like I said Henshaw uh, Gibson Park Andrew Conway has been up there working with him as well so um, it's another kind of string to the IRFU bow and like Keen Healy's powers of recovery have been amazing over the years so uh, you wouldn't rule it out but at the moment I'd say it's still a bit off Okay uh, Carl Harper there seems to be a lot of handling errors by all teams especially ball popping out in contact is the difference in the Rugby World Cup ball or is it just a humidity problem now they have spoken about that obviously when we're down in uh, Nantes and Bordeaux the, the film mm. on, on the ball yeah, and I was actually talking to someone um, about this who has, you know, been in training and has actually held the ball and seen the ball and they do actually feel different even to a layman for want of a better term, you know. Um, this is, this is we've seen this across the board, Sinead. There has been lots of handling errors and Andy Farrell touched on it after the, the Bordeaux game against Romania that it does take a while. You even think back to, remember the yellow ball, the pig, wasn't it, that they, call, that they called it a few years ago when Johnny Sexton and other kickers really struggled. It was an Adidas ball, I think, really struggle to get to grips with so every World Cup they seem to introduce a new ball which is interesting because you know players have to adapt to it but I suppose it's just one of the other challenges um, and is it just before the World Cup that they introduce yeah, I these think, I, I think they get it like in kind of pre-season is when they'll first get their hands on it so, that doesn't um, make sense Keane, to introduce it doesn't make it. sense but I mean there's, there's times when you use different balls as in different branded balls in competitions it's always been it's always been that way. I mean, it is, I suppose, a bit unusual. Um, not sure what the, the logic for it is, really. But it's the same for... It's a level playing field. It's the same for everyone across the board. Um, don't know, was there too many handling errors in the game last weekend? There was a couple of passes that didn't go stray, but how much of that was down to the pressure that the likes of the box were putting on. So um, the humidity should be easing off, you'd imagine, over the next while. It's certainly nothing like it was in Bordeaux for that first game and even in Nantes was pretty sticky so um, it will be a factor but I feel like Ireland and every other team are probably getting more used to it yeah. now um, so another tweet if Ireland don't win the World Cup from here will they be remembered as the team and fan base, fan base who over celebrated a pool game Surely not. Uh, Surely not, we don't over-celebrate. I'm not. I'm not having this. I've, no, seen, I've no. seen this argument uh, starting already and like it's almost paving the way for that if Ireland were to lose in a quarter final, that we're going to have the same old people crawling out of the woodwork that oh, Ireland have bottled it again. They've never been past the quarter final. Like, I just, yeah, for, for my own sanity, I just hope that uh, that doesn't happen, to be honest, because I just can't, I just hate that narrative. There's definitely a lot of people, I think, in Ireland who are just waiting for the Irish rugby team to fail. Fall. And this, this narrative around over-celebrating, like, what, what does that mean? I mean, who's over-celebrating? The are fans? they not meant to celebrate? But the players. The a players, win over the defending exactly, champions. Exactly, but like, I don't think the players over-celebrated. They, they walked the pitch they, afterwards. But they did that for against every Romania, game, yeah. they did it against Tonga. If you're talking about the supporters, the supporters have every, every right, right to paid hundreds of euro to come to France for a few weeks. They have every right to celebrate in whatever way they want. I made this point on the pod 
think it was on Monday maybe, that the attitude of Johnny Sexton and Andy Farrell afterwards, yeah. n- neither of them were getting ahead of themselves. And that, that really stood out. Yeah, and, yeah. Like, and we've already made this point before people are starting to ask us questions like this. Um, Johnny Sexton and Andy Farrell sat in that press conference afterwards and their demeanor and their look, they could have lost the game. I mean, they were not sitting there overjoyed with smiles in their faces thinking, oh, we've got it sorted. And that's reflective of the mood. So I didn't really see, okay, there might've been a few like extra joyous celebrations, but like they've just beaten, they'd never played South Africa in the World Cup. They've just beaten the world champions. It was an absolute slog of a game. I mean, you have to celebrate these little wins. You do. Like, not little wins, they're, they're huge, huge wins. Huge wins. You know? And I think so, as well, after what happened, as we mentioned before, you know, against Australia uh, in 2011, against France in 2015, I think this group of players, Paul O'Connell was there, they will have learned from that and to know that it doesn't all end here. So if anything, I think it is something they will have learned from. And this is something I was writing in yesterday's paper and online, Sinead. I mean, the, people seem to have forgotten that this is Ireland's toughest draw. It still exists. Just because they beat South Africa doesn't mean that all of a sudden it all opens up. They could possibly play New Zealand. And like, I mean, New Zealand will be licking their lips because as much as Ireland would probably prefer to play New Zealand, you can be sure that New Zealand want to play Ireland instead of South Africa. So I don't think anyone is getting ahead of themselves. I I think that includes us. I think that includes the players. I think the fans and supporters are every right to celebrate, particularly the ones who paid their hard-earned money to come over here. So yeah, I'm not having that. Okay. Um, Also some questions on Spotify and YouTube. Any thoughts on the fitness level of the Irish players versus the South Africans? It came across on TV that even the bomb squad were blowing after 20 minutes on the pitch. Josh van der Fleer, Doris and Byrne were still 100%. We've spoken about the yeah. conditioning of the Irish players. It's remarkable. Yeah. Absolutely remarkable. Um, I mean, you think back to Tyg Burns' try in the dying stages against Romania. I mean, Ireland could have easily kicked the ball out under their own post. They'd already hammered them. The game was over. But that mentality of, you know, wanting to score as many tries as they can, um, that's reflective. You can't do that without being super fit. Uh, we've spoken about how you do need an element of luck in terms of injuries, but the amount of work and conditioning that they've done in preseason, which sounds like it had been tweaked, that they were doing much more work with the, with ball. the ball. It wasn't yeah. just all kind of like this kind of boot camp training stuff. Let's get you as kind of, you know, aerobically fit as possible. It's about being rugby smart and rugby fit as well. So, um, I agree with that. Whoever sent in that question, um, absolutely. Like Ireland's fitness levels have been outstanding so far. When we can, when you consider that they haven't made too many changes either to their team, they've kind of stuck with the tried and trusted. So um, that's another reason why the the break week is so good because those guys, which you'd imagine most of them are going to play again against Scotland, uh, get to get a breather. And it's a hat tip as well to Jason Common, who mm-hmm. has been part of so many Irish teams, is so incredibly well-respected, doesn't do many media. Mm. Um, I did something with him, oh, it was years ago. I did a little bit of a fitness session when I was with TV3. I'd say you got on well. I'd say you got on well. Great guy. But again, he's somebody who's been part of so many World Cups and will have learned as well. You know, he, he seems to be almost ahead of the trends, if you ask me, like, you know, with the different things he brings into the squad. And again, it's just it just seems to be working just right for them now at this World Cup. Yeah, and I think they would admit that they got it wrong in 2019 for Japan in terms of the preseason and the conditioning. Look, Japan was such a funny one in terms of the conditions that they were playing in and I think they got a little bit too obsessed with the heat and the humidity. And another guy, I think, Sinead, who's worth mentioning, who works with Jason Cowman is Kieran Ruddock, Ruddock. Uh, yeah. Reese Ruddock's uh, brother. brother, who had a really good rugby career himself and um, played for, I think it was St. Mary's. Um, so yeah, that's a little, little interesting fact for anyone who doesn't know that Reese Ruddock's brother is actually actually a, a key part of the backroom team. And in 2019, they were there together That's at the World right. Cup, which was a really cool... They did cool a press conference yeah, together, together. It was yeah. really cool because they're quite, quite close in age as well. 
Yeah. But uh, Kieran Ruddock is a bit of an unsung hero, I think, as well. Absolutely. Okay, one in from Tyke. Is there any room to make a few changes against Scotland in two weeks? Yeah, we kind of we kind of discussed this earlier um, earlier in the week on the podcast. Um, there is room, but I just don't see Andy Farrell doing it. And I agree with the logic to, you know, Ireland have momentum now. I think there's an, an argument to say someone like Dan Sheehan, I think, will start. I think if Jack Conan is fit, he should start. You could potentially play Robbie Henshaw instead of Bundyaki or Gary Ringrose, depending on how he is after he took some serious punishment and dished it out as well um, against South Africa. So I think they're three guys who could come in. There's loads of other guys who you could make an yeah, argument and, for. And it's another one from Connor in here. Do you start Henderson and McCarthy in the Scotland game? And has Crowley earned the number two spot? Um, do you start Henderson and McCarthy? I don't think so. I think I don't think you take out your two starting second rows against Scotland. I think Scotland for all their flair and firepower in their back line, I think Scotland up front are still not like a top tier elite team. And that's where Ireland have a significant advantage. So the idea of like really making lots of changes to your pack, like I've already made or mentioned two in terms of Jack Conan and Dan Sheehan, who obviously don't weaken the team in any way, but I wouldn't be going making loads of changes because like mm. we've spoken about cohesion quite a bit, Sinead, with different teams and their lack of cohesion. Ireland are humming at the moment. And I think that, look, we've so much time to get into Scotland, but I, for me, the, the big area is up front and Ireland I think will look to double down on they're, they're, they're more powerful I think they're quicker they're smarter and I think in order to kind of use that I think you need to have guys who are used to playing for each other like I'm not sure how often off the top of my head Joe McCarthy and Ian Henderson would have played together so look I would have no doubt they could do a job but I just think the way Farrell's mindset is it's that like this is his kind of 23, 25 players who he wants going forward and he knows he has the likes of those guys to call upon. Yeah, and just when you mentioned earlier about the way the demeanour of Sexton and Farrell after the game, I also think it's probably because Ireland may face uh, South Africa uh, later in the tournament maybe. But this is from Lorcan. Do you think the box blinked for us when it came to naming a 7-1 split considering their squad imbalance? And also one for me, do you see the blocks go box going with that 7-1 split again in this tournament? I'm not sure. It's a good question. I'm not sure. I've already seen another narrative online that's really annoyed me over the last couple of days that um, the box, like we're just kind of treating it as a game that they could just try stuff in and then come, if they do meet Ireland in the final, they'll have a totally different game plan. That might be the case, but like if you're trying to tell me that like South Africa, we're happy enough to lose that game by going with the 7-1 and you know in terms of the tactics of kicking at goal like why didn't they kick for the corner like I'm sorry it's absolute nonsense as well like all these hindsight stuff that comes out it's absolute rubbish so will we see the 7-1 again I wouldn't rule it out but I'd be surprised I think like the fact that they said it was designed with Ireland in mind I think was was very interesting and we mentioned this like I think Ireland got in South Africa's heads rather than South Africa getting in Ireland's heads which is amazing really so And which is why they did that 7-1 is that what you're saying? Yeah I, I think so I mean like look if if all things go according to plan which we expect barring a major upset on Ireland's behalf like South Africa are going to be playing France in the quarter final would they go 7-1 for that? I mean, France are the only team in the tournament who can actually match up, I would say, man for man in terms of the the power and the strength. Now, we know how well Ireland's bench did, but it was kind of in a different way. I'm, I'm almost talking about weights and stuff like that. So, I don't know. I think they'll go back to the 6-2 personally, but I wouldn't rule it out either. Yeah, Um Brendan, do you think that Ireland can go up another level at this World Cup? Yes, we beat the box, but I think some key players haven't quite hit that t- top form yet. What key players could you be talking about? 
Like we know um, the line out was an area that didn't yeah. uh, function and losing four in the first 12 minutes. What key players? Uh, he, we, we've already mentioned Tyke Furlong. He probably has another level. I think Caelan Doris has been excellent and I thought he was particularly good in the second half yeah. last weekend. But I think he's probably got another level. Um, I think it's been very... That's a good thing. Uh, look, know? absolutely. I think it's been very interesting to listen to Caelan Doris. Like I mentioned earlier, we've spoken to him so often, but he's always like quite um, insightful. Gives he you is. little nuggets here yeah. and there. And he said that like he feels that for Leinster in particular over the last couple of years, he hasn't played well in the big game. So I think he He's come into the World Cup with not a point to prove because he's been absolutely outstanding for Ireland. But I feel like he probably does have another level. He was my tip to kind of be the player of the tournament. I mean, I think most most rugby fans in the world would know Caelan Doris. But for your casual fan, I kind of just felt like this guy could be the one to explode into their consciousness. And he might not have done that yet. But like I agree with you, Sinead. I mean, the fact that there's scope for improvement, I think, is massive. Who else could he be talking about top players? Um, I'm not sure, to yeah. be honest. Like... Do you know what I think though as well when it comes to the likes of Caelan Doris, the, the form that we've seen Bundy Aki in is that since Josh van der Fleer has won World Player of the Year, I genuinely think that has motivated an awful lot of the players thinking they can get to that level too. Just, just yeah. to see the way they perform like Caelan Doris as well during the Six Nations, I just think the way Josh van der Fleer has done it, the accolade he received last no- November, I actually just think that was genuinely inspiring to the other Irish players as well to just raise yeah. it again. It can't not be. I mean, if you had said two years ago that Josh van der Fleer would be the world player of the year, like, I don't think many people would have believed you. And that's no disrespect to Josh van der Fleer. It's just been the fact that his rate of improvement has been, I spoke about Finley Bealham's rate of improvement. Josh van der Fleer's has been next level stuff. I mean... And it was Will Connors as well. Didn't yeah, you say that before? The, that him going so well that that inspired him to... And like Andy Farrell loved Will Connors. I mean, when he first took over, he gave him his debut and Will Connors, unfortunately, has just been deviled by by injury but I remember after the 2019 quarterfinal defeat in Tokyo uh, Josh van der Fleer came into the mix zone and I'll never forget it it looked like he'd went 12 rounds with Mike Tyson his face was black and blue he was battered like it was a metaphor for like what we had just Mm. seen uh, from Ireland and I remember just thinking like is Josh van der Fleer just like is he a little bit too light almost for these kind of heavyweight contests and I don't know like what's changed look we know his his carrying has become just so so improved but I don't know I think it's been a mindset change from him I think he realizes that he's not the biggest guy in the world so he has to kind of be smarter than everyone else and that kind of goes down to his carrying he's worked a lot when Dennis Leamy was with Leinster he worked a lot with him a guy like Hugh Hogan who's now left as well he's working very closely with Sean O'Brien I mean these guys what mentors Mm -hmm. to have and it just goes to show the point that you're making Sinead the levels that you can hit once you're kind of tuned in and you get that bit of luck in terms of like an injury-free run. And Josh van der Fleer has become absolutely vital to everyone, everything that Ireland have done. And I thought he was brilliant again uh, last Saturday. So yeah, it just does go, it goes to show, Sinead, uh, the levels you can hit. And Keen, I know it's kind of a bit of a cliche and we talk about humility and guys being humble and all that, but Josh van der Fleer really is that. I was in Monaco last November when he won the World Player of the Year and he was genuinely stunned that he had got it considering the calibre and quality of players that he was up against. And Long may continue. Yeah, he's definitely one of the nice guys of Irish rugby for sure. But I mean, once he gets on that pitch like them all, he's a different animal. He is indeed. Okay, uh, another one. Guys, well done. However, you need to focus. Scotland next and then the ABs. You have won nothing yet. Don't put too much pressure on the guys. They are a very good team. And when they go in the quarterfinal, it's a different ball game, which they have not conquered yet. 
do we need to be brought back to reality? But no, no, we've already kind of touched on this. Um, and I've wrote a piece yesterday, a big piece on the the sort of the hurdles that lie in Ireland's way. And I think I picked out five of them. I'll try and remember them off the top of my head. Uh, number one was that Scotland are a banana skin. I think Ireland are a better team. Again, we'll get into this like much more next week, but they are a banana skin. Like Ireland, there's a reason why I think Andy Farrell is going to pick a strong team because he knows how dangerous Scotland are. There's a sense of familiarity there, which makes them even dangerous. They know what Ireland are about. Uh, number two, the risk of injury. I mean, We've discussed this just now, Sinead, how well and how lucky Ireland have been um, with injuries. But I still think I still think they're heavily reliant on a couple of guys. I think Andrew Porter playing 75 minutes last week was um, evidence of that. If Andrew Porter gets injured, then I think Ireland are in a bit of trouble. Johnny Sexton is the obvious one. There's no, we, we don't need to go into that. But if Johnny Sexton isn't, isn't there for a quarterfinal, you are going to be pretty nervous. Uh, number three was the mental barrier. So I think everything that we've seen from this Irish team over the last couple of years suggests that they are mentally strong. I think we saw that again last weekend when the lineout was going to pieces. They still found a way to win. Gary Keegan has done unbelievable yeah. work. We got to chat to him a few weeks ago. Really impressive character, yeah. performance coach, working on the mental side of the game. But come the quarterfinal week, there is going to be huge mental pressure on that. Can Ireland cope with it? That's a big thing. Uh, number four was the the risk of suspension. I mean, Peter O'Mahony's yellow card against Tonga was Ireland's first yellow card in 14 months. It's been a hallmark of Andy Farrell's success, I would say. Um, discipline is always absolutely key. But pressure and heat at the moment does funny things to players. One rush of the blood to the head where it's a high tackle, whether it's a dangerous clear out, and then all of a sudden you're missing a key player for a potential quarterfinal. So in short, in response to that question, there are pitfalls everywhere here. And I don't think anyone is getting ahead of themselves. I don't think, how can a country who's never been past a quarterfinal get, get ahead of themselves now? There's a difference between acknowledging what was probably Ireland's greatest ever World Cup win in terms of a pool match, downing the world champions. But everyone knows that the big test is still ahead. Yeah, I know for sure. One from Lizzie. have to say, although I really rate James Lowe, he hadn't shown up until Saturday against South Africa. Oh my God, he was immense. Gave Eben a bit of a ride. He is firing <laughs> Like many of the others, I have a different feeling about this Irish team, apart from their talent and cohesion. Just feeling a different vibe from them all, Aaron Gabra. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Well, in terms of his form, I think he has been... It's been great, yeah. We just yeah. We, we highlighted him on Monday's pod when we were discussing, Sinead, like after having watched the game back, how well that was one thing that stood out to me. Um, James Lowe's defence has been just remarkable, how it's gone from being his Achilles heel. Um, I still wouldn't say it's his major strength. Obviously, he's much more comfortable going forward, but even... His even, work rate. His work rate, even the pass he threw for uh, Mac Hansen's try, he made that look very easy, and it is... Okay, it's it's a professional rugby player passing the ball, but I mean the basics done well is you shouldn't underestimate, you know, the importance of that. So uh, I couldn't agree more. It was at Lizzie's question. Um, couldn't agree more with how well James Lowe played, and he's become so important. We all know how you know how vital his left boot is, and yeah, he's become a key player in that left wing. Yeah, that's it. Um, please do continue to send in your questions and your comments. Uh, we are here all week, uh, but Will will be back with another left wing uh, podcast tomorrow. Thanks for listening and watching. Listen and follow The Left Wing wherever you get your podcasts.